The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speaker. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice from your own physician. My name is Greg Whitcomb. I'm a chiropractor on the faculty at uh, the Medical College of Wisconsin Department of Neurosurgery and um, have been in practice for over three decades working in an integrated care environment. My name is Todd Wetzel. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon from Cooperstown, New York past president of NAS and someone who's had a very strong interest in non-operative care despite being a surgeon. Well, Greg has been involved in psychologically informed practice for many years and actually kind of piqued my involvement. We're all familiar with the biopsychosocial model and certainly one of the criticisms of that model is perhaps as surgeons or as providers, we've thought a little too much about the bio part of it. Clearly, I think uh, a, a seminal moment for me in my education uh, going back was an article, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, an RCT that was published in the mid-90s by a Scandinavian researcher, Aggie Indahl, uh, taking a look at a two-year uh, RCT, uh, randomizing people between formal care, as back care as usual, and people that just simply were advised to remain normally active. And the latter group actually did better than the people that were receiving treatment. And that really caused me to start to scratch my head what was making the difference between these two, these two groups of mm -hmm. patients. And then being informed um, by the likes of Gordon Waddell and Kim Burton and the research that started to come out on yellow flags over the years and understanding that there were sort of more psychosocial variables at play that were affecting my communication with patients, how they responded mm -hmm. to treatment and so on and so forth. And then, as you know, there's been a superabundance of literature that has ensued over the last two decades showing that psychosocial factors are as, if not more influential than physical factors in terms of outcome and then, by extension, costs related to treatment of patients with back pain. Yeah, and you know, uh, Greg, it's funny, even some of the well-known ran well randomized controlled trials, surgery versus non-op, in one very seminal study, it showed that the group that had cognitive behavioral therapy did actually better right. th than yeah. a surgery yeah. group. Yeah. And so this, I mean, I think this is an important component of any treatment, regardless of whether it's operative or non-operative. It spans the gamut, right? Well, I think we need to be sensitive to the whole person. Hippocrates told us that centuries ago. Right. Um, and, you know, the biotechnical, biomedical aspects of, of care really were important. I mean, uh, nobody's going to argue the effectiveness of the polio vaccine, right? But <coughs> I think in that sort of focus, we lost attention to this more global aspect of patient care. And the data are now showing us that we need to sort of come back to maybe a little bit more holistic approach in the context of understanding that how people think and what their emotional status is and so on and so forth has to be addressed in the context of care. If it's not, uh, people just don't do as well. Yeah, oh, I, I completely agree. Now, in your practice, when, you're, when you see somebody for an intake visit, how do you integrate the psychologically informed practice model in a, in a practical sense when you're seeing somebody? Um, you know, I think it begins with uh, having a very clear mind and understanding that people are coming in with understandable fears, apprehensions about the fact that they're hurting and that they really value when people pay attention to those types of things. Uh, their, their family members may be concerned. They're concerned about how they're going to perform in their job. They have financial commitments. 
Uh, I feel this way at the age of 31. Where am I going to be at 41? My uncle Barney had a fusion. Um, am I headed in that pathway? And if we don't address those types of things, I think all sort of the physically oriented examination stuff that we tend to jump into right, at, right away um, is, is not going to, I mean, it's not that we don't do those things. So those are very, very important, right? And I saw a woman uh, within the last two weeks that had just straightforward back pain. Um, a little bit of unexplained weight loss, and turns out she had lymphoma, right? So if we just sort of get right. this psychosocial f uh, focus, we tend to get lost <coughs> in the forest of that as well. So, But do, do a thorough examination, but also understanding right from the beginning that we need to ask open-ended questions, be sensitive to where the patient's head is at, um, and don't be afraid to have those conversations, and then use the clinical encounter is an opportunity to allay those fears, to engage the patient in conversation, and to let them know that you understand where they're, where they're coming from. And I think that's half the battle. Yeah. Sometimes it's not enough. We need to bring in our mental health colleagues, um, and formal testing becomes necessary. Um, but that's been my experience, and that's just been informed by a lot of reading and a lot of interacting with people who are well-trained in this area over the years. And a lot of listening. Absolutely, you, yeah. have to, you have to listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, one of the things that I found to be a very interesting tenet of the um, psychosocial part of this is to listen to a patient to make sure that the patient's treatment goals are the same oh. as the provider's. Unquestionably. Because if you, unless you're both going to the same right. place and have the same expectations, right. one or both of you are going to be disappointed. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, it, when you mention something that occasionally you might have to call in additional professionals, say psychologists, behavioral health specialists. What, what makes you think that might be necessary as you're evaluating a patient? Uh, you know, sometimes the best way to answer questions just is through experience, narrative. Within the last two weeks, um, I saw a very cordial 52-year-old woman married 35 years to the same guy who had a six-year history of uh, back pain uh, associated with lifting a chair with her son. Mm -hmm. Um, had had extensive imaging, workups, multiple courses of epidural steroid injections, multiple courses of physical therapy, uh, two surgical consultations, and she was no better at all. Um, I went through the physical examination. It was concordant with the fact that she had an essentially age-normal MRI scan. There were no red flags at play here. Um, and, but her pain behaviors and her affect were so pronounced that I pushed the chair back to open distance between the two of us, I looked her in the eye and I asked her very straightforwardly, um, because there's a strong statistical cor correlation here, um, d has anyone ever physically hurt you or abused you? And it turns out in fact that she had a horrible history mm. of physical and sexual abuse date, uh, extending over a long period of time. That is a time <laughs> when I'm going to reach out to one of my mental health colleagues. Because now I'm entering into waters that I'm simply not equipped to deal with. And happily, uh, because we work in an integrated care environment, we have a clinical psychologist on staff at our program. So it's simply a matter of me making that connection. And the patient yeah. was actually alleviated and, and expressed to me that she felt like she was moving more toward a place of recovery than she had been before because we'd had that conversation. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think you bring up a really good point. One of the uh, things that we've learned working with medical students in the second or third year in a rural environment is you really can't treat your patient until you understand your patient. That's right. Uh, to the point that with these medical students, uh, we started home visits as a component of ingraining kind of this psychological bent in them. And hopefully um, this will help form habits that will sustain them throughout their professional careers. 
there's no question. I think, you know, ha first of all, a lot of people are tentative about doing this because they feel uncomfortable with the process. Right. Uh, there's plenty of education, and I know NASA's worked on We had a, a two-day course in psychologically informed practice at the 2016 annual meeting. It was extremely well attended. There's conversations about your spine doing these types of things going forward. Practitioners want to know this stuff because they recognize the validity of the, of the literature that's out there. Um, so, uh, but I think what you're getting at here is that we're coming back to this focus on this doctor-patient relationship, that that's what drives uh, us as professionals in our care for our patients. And, you know, doing that on the other, other side of microscopes, maybe, you know, uh, it's valuable. Again, there's no reason that, uh, to, to, to condemn any aspect of what we do for patient care. But we need to reestablish that connection, and I laud you for, for making those efforts. Well, and I certainly respect the effort you've made over the years. Thanks. You bet.